I mean, Gyan, Yoga, Bhakti, universalize those terms, you know, and if they're applied in such a way that they include deconstructing the material sense of self, then they have a prospect for, in, in the minimum, they have the potential to be able to shed significant light, insight on and realization of the self. And if there is bhakti factored in, even if it's in a broad, you know, generic beyond self-realization, which is can be affected by about by the sattva potential for nirguna mukti status. I mean, that's a universalist kind of perspective. I do think those terms are <laughs> such that they can be universalized. Karma Gyan Bhakti Gyan. Fit yoga in there. Yoga in itself is very uh, adaptable. The method. Therefore, you have bhakti yoga, gyan yoga, karma yoga, this yoga, that yoga. You know, if you look at it more as a methodology than a philosophy, really, in the yoga sutras, it's, it's more of a method than it is a philosophy. Although it is, it is both, but more emphasis on the latter. And so, people take that latter part and apply it. Do you need Sankhya? Sankhya! Or to be a transcendentalist? No. I mean, you need Sankhya in the sense of differentiating between the Purusha and Prakriti. But I mean, that's incorporated into our teaching as far as Sankhya as a explanation of what's out there, which is a big part of it, separate from the Purusha, I would say there's different ways of talking about that, and, and uh, I mean, how well do I know Sankhya philosophy? <laughs> Not very well. I know as I say, the emphasis on what's out there is that it's, it's not what it appears to be, and it's to be transcended, and, and to think that you can grasp it all in the fist of your intellect, that's an illusion, you're different from it, 
you know, you have to know that. Yeah. But, uh, me and the Bogotan just speak of one element merging into another and so on. Yeah. That happened on its own. Know about it when understand that detail, if you will, however accurate it is, as to in terms of being an explanation of the external objective world. So I mean, you know, I mean knowing Sankhya philosophy, knowing yoga philosophy, you know, and so forth, then you you can understand sometimes things that are said more in the scriptures and in the commentaries that are informed uh, by those about those philosophies and sometimes they're speaking directly against them or taking some aspect of it and incorporating it into, into our teaching and so forth. So by knowing them, it enhances your capacity to pick up on that. And, but I mean, again, back to the original point I was making, what are, what are the paths that you've got, you know? Like I say, you know, okay, there's, there's the Abrahamic religions, what are they? Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, they're on the world stage. <clears throat> Islam has a, a uh, esoteric branch. Well, it doesn't even identify as such, but it is. The Sufis, which is basically Islamic religion influenced by Advaita Vedanta, mm. basically. Mm. And it has a bhakti, because, because Islam has a bhakti element to it, right? Worship of God. So Sufism has that as well. Mm -hmm. mm. So and, and it, it's... it's it's, it's a good formula in that sense of that it uh, has some potential for giving it uh, a Nirguna result, Mukti, right? And I think that, uh, mm. you know, and you, and you have a lot of that, uh, because it's this, it comes out of this bhakti, religion, when you mix it with Advaita Vedanta, it has a lot of bhakti-esque type of sensibilities, like, Rupa, like the one I usually cite, Rumi, he's full of love poems with the absolute, and so on and so forth. And, but I think... And also they perform this devotional singing and circular dancing. Dancing, yeah. Yeah, so the it's kind of very much a bhakti mixed with gyan mm. formula that they have there. And then you have Christianity now. Christianity, it doesn't seem to have the same this, uh, distinct mystical arm to it, sect to it, but it does have these saints that at a time when it was more mystical, mm. more esoteric, more revolutionary and uh, consuming and so forth. It does have 
the saints, especially in, in, in Catholicism. So that's that's too. Judaism. It has an esoteric side, the Kabbalah. I mean, it's not. Doesn't seem to be that aligned, as far as I can tell, comparatively. The monks are three. The Sufis are like more, more vibrant, more alive, more. Uh, even there are Sufi writers today and mystics today and so forth. But anyway, those are the three, right? Abrahamic. And then you've got within Hinduism, you got Zoroastrianism, which I don't know much about, but that's probably some type of. Do you know about that, Zoroastrianism? A little bit. It's related. It's really closely tied to the like, old Vedic. Uh huh. So they, a lot of the words, like their main, their main deity, it's super monotheistic, is the Hura Mazda, which is this, it's cognate with the word Asura. <laughs> so it's, um, it's a sim very similar language to, um, to the, the Vedic Sanskrit, and it's, but it's, it's, it's highly monotheistic and posits a kind of a battle between good and evil. Mm -hmm. And a lot, um, a lot, I mean, I think the predominant view among scholars is that today, right, the, today the predominant view is that <clears throat> all this sort of eschatological mm -hmm. stuff that you get in the Abrahamic traditions, it's all basically coming from Zoroastrianism. That, you know, this idea that there's a, there's a god and then there's an evil Satan or a, huh. some sort of evil element and that, that, that there's a, a, a struggle, a battle going on and it's all going to end to the end of the world. That all, is, they, they, they see, most, from what I understand, most scholars see that as originating in the Zoroastrian tradition. But it's, it looks like linguistically um, that, that Indo-Iranian Indo-Aryan split happened pretty early on, and so it sort of developed in tandem with the with the Vedic mm -hmm. tradition. Mm -hmm. that, trademark is dualism. Yeah, dualism. That's, that's, yeah, that's the big yeah. takeaway. They do a fire yagya, it's a fire ritual. The eternal flame. Yeah, it's very similar in a lot of its... But, you know, there was this reformer, Zatatura, and he... He writes these these gatas, these um, these prayers, and they're they're in a similar format as the as the Rig Veda, but it's it's, it's kind of spelling out a a different. It, it, it has this real like you know that dualistic, um, but it, it, it's a similar culture, cows and lots of that kind of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And apocalyptic. And apocalyptic, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. That's where charity. Yeah. Huh. Uh -huh. Maybe linear time. Linear time. Yeah, linear time. Exactly. Yeah. Uh -huh. That it's all leading up to this big cataclysm. Uh -huh. And so, the thinking is, is that 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 was the sort of intellectual bedrock that ultimately informed what we now call Judaism, and then subsequently. No, Christianity, India, the mother of all religions. Yeah, it does. If the more you look at it, the more you're like, oh, so it's all coming from this Indo-European well, bedrock. Great information. Yeah, very interesting.
Yeah, and then you have the Hinduism, and then, you know, within Hinduism, some of the paths are obviously transcendental, and some are obviously not, and they say they're not. And, uh, And they can all fit within Gyan, Yoga, Bhakti, and any mixture of the, of the three. And then you got the Jainism and, and Buddhism. And they're just they're just outgrowths of, of Hinduism really. And so so much of that Hinduism is there within them. I mean, the Buddha rejected the karma conduct, you know, so, so do we, you know. So do the Upanishads, in due course, at the right time, and so forth. Buddha was a Hindu, as he said, so. Then what's left? That, then you have your new, you know, contemporary. You have contemporary spirituality some Eastern, you know, sensibilities coming from Hinduism and Buddhism mixed with quantum mm. theory and it, it had much to do with what the nature of what's out there and interpreting it differently and um, you know, for the most part some non-dual emphasis in terms of what's out there and who's, who's observing, kind of doing away with what's out there as being objective. That's yeah. pretty much what I've seen. So it's that's the enduring power of the great Vedanta yeah. still right? mm. <laughs> amongst the mm. intellectuals. Mm. I recently read um, a biography of Rudolf Steiner. Okay, yeah. Yeah, in the school for in the Waldorf school, you think? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was surprised to learn that in the uh, 20th century and the uh, later 19th century, there's actually a lot of discomfort with Christianity in Europe. Like, and, and then the secular humanism as well. Like there was something that happened. Two ends of the spectrum. Neither one of the satisfactory. Yeah, like, like they're because of uh, the militarism and like the, you know, the technological advancement and then, you know, the threat of things like this. Uh, the new technology and war and all this stuff. Ethical considerations. Yeah, sure. so... It was, there was a real feeling like, oh my God, you know, we, we know that we've completely uh, eradicated all of the pre-Christian religions, uh, and now we're feeling, you know, disconnected with nature, and, uh, there's all this conflict, and there's a lot of worry about technology. So there were several movements in Europe to try to deal with that.
Theosophical Society. Yeah. So Steiner was actually part of the Theosophical Society. Uh huh. But he rejected it because he wasn't comfortable with, um, you know, the sort of like Advaitin Mayavad hmm. ideas. So. Mm -hmm. He had a more theistic. Yeah, that was. So he, he moved back into Christianity, but then he brought in uh, karma and reincarnation into Christian, you know, into mm -hmm. his mm -hmm. anthroposophy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there is like some self-reflection about you know, within Europe about, oh, God, well, what did we do? What have we done, you know, mm -hmm. by accepting Christianity um, and all the you know, that, like, extreme dualism and all that kind of stuff, and the disconnection from nature, and, mm -hmm. you know, what's happened to our society now. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I don't know if that disconnection is inherent in the teachings of Jesus, though. Yeah, maybe not. But they, in pre-Christian, there was yeah, a paganism. lot of demigod worship and everything. Paganism, and yeah. They were basically, like, forest sort of tribal people, but then yeah. after Christianity, well, there's a big change. Christianity and science, they kind of had a wedding. Yeah, yeah. And now they're divorced. <laughs> I yeah. found them. <clears throat> also, we find people like St. Francis who will be like a patron saint of nature. Yeah. Like this, right? <clears throat> I'm sure he found some connection in the teachings of Christ about mm -hmm. how to re relate with environments. Yeah. Yeah, one of the original environmentalists in America, what was his name? I wrote an article many years ago and yeah. cited him. Oh. The one who founded this, this deep ecology conception of No. He was not from, he was from Norway. He was, but he was a little later. Um, but at any rate, he attributed the, this was in the 70s, environmental crisis to Christianity. Mm. And uh, it's ghost busting and so mm. forth. And uh, that he couldn't, uh, he didn't see the, he didn't see the solution to the problem within Eastern uh, religious traditions. And I would think it was probably a cultural bias that uh, caused him to reach that conclusion and instead posit the idea that we should return to a Franciscan model, model of, mm. Christ of Christianity. Mm -hmm. I've been wondering about the relationship between like, Amerindian traditions and God, Vedic side of things. I don't know much about. Well, I think there's uh, just off the top of my head. There's you know there's quite a difference between what looks, what is animism, mm. worship of nature, and what looks like it in the form of Hinduism and Varnashram. Mm. Uh -huh. uh, there's quite a bit more philosophy underlying the Hindus' worship of nature and the positing of their gods. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. 
compared to uh, maybe Native Americans tend to be more animistic, worship the river. I mean, it's the mountain. There's some of the same spirit is there, but I mean, it ends there. You know, like we're dependent on the river. We should worship the river. You know, and uh, and you become more one with it and. You have more intuitive sense of knowing about things rather than being in your head all the time and so forth. But it doesn't build on top of that. Whereas the Varnashram is a worship of nature and positing consciousness behind the river, behind the sun, behind the wind and all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But then it, you know, it, it goes up from there, right? To a very sophisticated mythology from the Purva Mimamsa. Karmakanda to the Uttarmimamsa of Vedanta and so Christi uh, that Native American type or even p pagan uh, forms of religion in Europe hmm? that, that didn't have that. That's, that's one of the reasons I believe that Christianity was able to, you know, besides the use of the sword uh, and, and intimidation with the help of the Romans, you know, where they converted and they had the you know powerful government behind them and whatever the king is, well you're gonna have the same religion or you might not have the head to think about it with. So but besides, you know, that kind of power, they did have a more developed theological um, conception. Um, but you know, they kind of took out this foundation and put in took out the body, kind of put in a head. God's up here, you know, and, uh, and there's something beyond beyond nature, hmm? mm -hmm. and it's distinct, and this is what you know it, it is, and so on and so forth. But then, you know, they bifurcated mm -hmm. and making making him transcendent. They didn't make him imminent at all, and so then the separation between humans and, and nature, and, and the environmental crisis, and all the, discon the disconnection, all the psychological problems, you could say. Of human society mm -hmm. arising out of this disconnecting <clears throat> humans from nature, which which doesn't happen in Varnashram, hmm? as a as a, as a social religious uh, structure and uh, approach to living pragmatically, living in, in 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 the world that we're not you know we're not really part of when we, well, we are, but we're not. And so it's it's it just seems so much richer the apparent animism of Varnashram and the actual animism amongst Native Americans or their Aboriginal tribes in you know all different countries that make sense? yeah yeah they have this like a basic understanding of Mother Earth and Father Son yeah and like But like some some of them, for example, the Mapuches of Chile, they have a very sophisticated, I mean, comparatively philosophy to many of the tribes. And mm -hmm. 
But I think still Christianity excelled in that regard in a way that was able to... to uh, like positive, clear monotheism? Like yeah, this. yeah. Transcendentalism, mm -hmm. yeah. basically. Yeah. You know? But may you also say that, like, if you remove the gods, then that puts human beings on top. Nothing in between. Between humans and God? Yeah. Like, you take away the gods. Yeah. Then human, then humans think, well, we're the top. Now we can understand everything. Mm -hmm. And there's no one above us. So they set themselves up to be... I think Richard Turner said that in his book, no, like the Christians. Christians were at the top of the rank in yeah. this world, the world for them. God is somewhere else yeah. that created this type of crisis. He's in yeah. penthouse somewhere. <clears throat> right. But you lose your, then you, you lose your, you know, connection with reality. Human beings not mm -hmm. on top. You can't understand everything. Humans get human beings on top, and then uh, starts questioning if there's anybody, anybody above them. Yeah. 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 So that also is like kind of that has an appeal. Hey, we're on top. We're the, yeah, we're the, we're great. I'm a little nervous on the road here. Yeah. You know, there have been instances in recent times in North America of these bigoted people running, running people over who look yeah. like they're, mm. you know, not Americans. <laughs> I heard mile for mile the most dangerous mode of transportation is walking in America. Really? And in many countries in the world. Which one? Walking. Ah. <laughs> That's surprising. Yeah. The most dangerous animal in North America is a deer. Oh, yeah. Right. Because of crossing the road mm -hmm. and then you crash yeah. and oh, yeah. mm. causes more accidents than any other animal. Mm -hmm. Of course, who's causing the accident, the animal or the car, you know? It's an accident. The, the animal car, driving the, or the, the animal crossing. <laughs> yeah. what, and so from the animal point of view, the most dangerous animal is the car, you know? But yeah, I mean, Hinduism has just, just, just really resolved these issues, you know. It, so you connect theism, pantheism, and panentheism. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. You're part of nature, you're not. God is imminent and transcendent at the same time. And there's no disconnect from nature. It's a very beautiful way to be connected with nature, live with gratitude, and be very, um, but very sophisticated, theologically speaking. Because, the you know, the Varnashram is meant to move you towards mukti. I mean, just the very idea that our sensual pursuits are dependent macrocosmically upon features of nature that are then venerated, worshipped, and so forth, stops you from, from just thinking that this gratification of the senses and manipulating nature in any, any way that you could come up with to gratify your senses is what freedom that we all seek is, is, is where it's to be found, you know? That's just done away with entirely. Yeah. Especially in the Bhagavatam, even Barnashram is seen as it has to conclude in Samshitir Haritosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Excuse me, Gilmarsh. I should go. Okay. To me. Uh, she's this way. Yeah. yeah. Just walk this way. Sorry. She's like, well, about she's, four miles. She's quite. A, are you going to just walk there? No. You're going to walk back to get a car? Yeah, I think so. Okay. All right. Howdy, Bob. Good to see you. See you. Are you coming back? No, I have to go home <clears> after that. It seems like people have a real hard time distinguishing, as you were bringing up last night, the difference between a transcendental path and a self-help path, or these more indigenous animal, animism paths. They kind of see, yeah, they confuse a lot of times the subtle yeah. Well, I don't know about self-help. Self-help was pretty clearly about being a more balanced, efficient, capable, drawing upon all your material human potentiality to, you know, take from the world and, hmm. and you know, be, be, a, be, a, be, a, be an enjoyer here within the gunas. I, I don't think there's anything that's even slightly uh, uh, non-physical to them. I mean, it's psychological. That's true. I guess the idea of like finding contentment or peace within that mm -hmm. mistake. Yeah. The peace of yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would, uh, you know, to be generous, I would say that the whole idea of coming into psychological balance, which is such a huge industry, is a sattvic pursuit, and it will make you more, more peaceful. And it does, within it, advocate less exploitation and seeing people as objects. You know, you can just use as you like to fill the holes that you, you know, have in your being and, and so forth. And um, that's very, uh, very sattvic. And it's true that sattva guna gives knowledge, ultimately, even with under the bond bondage of sattva guna, you can, you can attain self-realization. That's a very interesting hmm. concept. Hmm? That's how, how revealing and powerful sattva guna is. That's pretty, pretty refined, subtle, material influence. Hmm? So, there is some scope. Uh, Buddhism and uh, some other Eastern even the yoga schools and whatnot have very much merged with uh, popular psychology, especially Buddhism. There's like a Target, you know, the store, the tar Target. Target, yeah. It's kind of like Walmart or something. Yeah. Every register had a copy of this magazine. So I looked at it. It was called Mindfulness. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's Every big. Every it was like a mag it looked like it might have even been published by Target. I mean, it was like three ninety nine. You had to buy it. Mm -hmm. But it was just a whole, but it was very, there was no, I don't know, it was all about 
sitting and there was no Buddhism or any religious. Mm. Uh -huh. The whole mag it was. They want to strip away all the religious baggage. Yeah, it was none of that. And it's just be in the moment or something. Yeah, and sit and here's some practices you can do and you breathe and mm. maybe mm -hmm. even some sort of pseudo pranayami kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Other teachers in schools are incorporating that type of mindfulness meditation. They start uh -huh. the classes with that, like five minutes or something. Uh-huh. And what do you do? You can sit there and try to stop yeah, thinking they, and be in the moment. They asked you to just like pay attention to your thoughts and your feelings pretty much. And be conscious of them so they're not unconsciously disturbing your ability to be a student and present. Well that's an interesting example how Eastern spirituality is subtly and woven itself into the fabric of of the West. So much for Krishna West. <laughs> One of my favorite topics. <laughs> there is um, um you heard about the Mary Magdalene Evangelie? No. There is a new, uh, they, they have found like ancient scroll Evangelie from her uh, that is like a parallel story. And they made a movie out of this now. Just She's recently. in love with Jesus. Uh, no, She's a far more lover of Jesus. Yeah, some say that, but like the, the scrolls doesn't say that. She was like basically, she was the the disciple who understood Jesus the most. Mm -hmm. But like uh, they had a platonic connection, mm -hmm. so to say. Mm -hmm. And there, I saw this movie with her uh, just recently. It's a very nice movie. I recommend to see. And they they say that she kind of started uh, the esoteric Christianity parallel to all these institutions. The like the twelve apostles, they really didn't get. Jesus' message, the movie they depict them to be like, uh, when Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God, they kind of imagine like a, that, that the kingdom of God will come to earth, like literally. And she like understands what's actually, this is actually an, an internal realization, the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. So it's like the esoteric part, she understood, she kind of catched the point of Jesus. Mm. And so she kind of breaks with the twelve apostles, and and uh, like parallel to to the institutionalization of Christianity, she starts this esoteric parampara mm -hmm. that like later became like Rosenkreutz, and then uh, Bogomils and Qatars. Like it's, there is like a I don't know if you heard about them. No. For like mystic Christians from France. Uh huh. They were like persecuted by the, by the, uh, yeah, by the church. They were mm -hmm. brutally killed. Yeah, religion killing off its own esoteric yeah. branch core. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. One, how credible it is uh, in terms of being historically accurate. But it, 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 would do, it does seem that, I don't know, for Christianity to have come so far from that, 
that it's its teaching is almost repulsive to educated people and it's it's it's, it's just so filled with at least in this country bigotry and narrow-mindedness and, hmm. and you know embrace of violence and identifying political ideologies and they seem to be a lot of political a lot of money's going into manipulating them you know that's true because it it used to be that the Christians were not political. Yeah, they did. They were never for years. They were never a force. But I think it was with the Bush, Bush administration. There was a guy who ran Bush's campaign. I forget his name now. Carl Rowe. Carl Rowe. Yeah. He got the he got the Christian right riled up yeah. and kind of portrayed Bush as as a you know real he's your evangelical you know. Yeah. Which is, you know, <laughs> not really true. Not like them, anyway. And that, and maybe even a little before that. But that's when they really started to become a force. And now, oh man, they're they're a big uh, a big sector to, to deal with. But anyway, the point being that, from what you're saying, if the Magdalene doctrine had been the central doctrine, it would seem it would be harder to get away from, to get so far from. Hmm. And it, it lends some credibility to the idea that that the fathers of the church, if you will, didn't understand it as well. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And therefore, it's more, more uh, it, it, it's easier for it to get so, so distorted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very interesting that with I mean, seemingly unqualified disciples, Jesus kind of left it in their hands to tell his story. Um, oh, you saw that movie also, right? We were. Oh man! I yeah, did, yeah, we watched it. Uh -huh. uh, but I mean, a lot of the gospels, you know, they lead to misinterpretations, being very vague and mm -hmm. more physical in nature. And, you know, just interesting. Mm. Jesus as a saint took that approach to not write down anything himself. Well, there you go, you know, with the effort to institutionalize the, the persona mm -hmm. of Jesus, the teaching that he embodied, that, you know, a more esoteric approach doesn't lend itself as much to being institutionalized. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're a very esoteric branch, and... Uh, for centuries, it you know didn't lend itself that much to yeah. institutionalization. It's been kind of a little freelance, you know. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. yeah. You said the other day it's difficult to be broad and deep at the same time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Speaking about how, but we not yeah. actually did that anyway. Yeah. Magda Magdalene, you said? Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was a lady, so I don't think they liked so much yeah. the idea of having her as yeah. esoteric Acharya of the and, and who was she historically? She was, a, was she as a prostitute? No, she, this was like uh, the false rumors they spread about her because oh. they she was... Her yeah. with a, a prostitute that's yeah. mentioned. So that it's kind of what happens is they 
This is the mainstream. Main, main, Christianity in general. It, yeah. It, Mary Magdalene is, is key to, to the Jesus story. She's there and I don't know, there's two, two or three accounts of the risen Christ after the resurrection. And she is the witness. She's the primary witness. Mm-hmm. In one account she goes, I think she goes alone, and there's a gardener. Uh, well, she goes and with a couple other women. The main story is that she goes with a couple other women, but she's the only one that's identified by name fully, this Mary Magdalene. And she, she is also mentioned elsewhere. She's the most mentioned of the women in the New Testament. And then, but there are some other Marys that are mentioned. And so over time, they, they sort of, the, the traditions, the Europeans started kind of blending these sort of myths together. Marys together. Marys together. And so she became not only the, the, the lead female disciple, but she was also the most fallen. And so therefore Jesus had saved. But there's not really any. Mm-hmm. And then in like medieval Europe, they started, uh, she became very popular in, in popular devotion. And there were like all kinds of cults and there you know, just kind of ch- in shrines built to her, and she manifests people and that sort of stuff. And there were other texts written um, describing her her pastimes, if you will, that were at you know they had they were actually read in church in some small settings and things like that. Mm-hmm. So she becomes this like super important figure. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's you know it's hard to know exactly who she was. You know, but we do know that she was very important to the early church, to the to the original. You know, the, the twelve disciples and Jesus. She was the main woman. Mm-hmm. She was re- really there, and she is the primary witness to the resurrection. And what's the Magdalene side of her it's from, this, the, from that story? Yeah, I, this uh, movie, what I saw, and I, later I studied about it. Is uh, based on the Mary Magdalene Evangelist, which they have found. Which scholars are kind of. They're, they are uh, agreeing with that this is accurate, like uh, authentic scrolls. Yeah, it's a, it, it, it's a, I didn't see but the movie, but it, those, I think it was in the 60s, maybe? It was in the 20th century. They found a bunch of, they found yeah. some different texts, um, some of the, 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 the so-called Gnostic, Gnostic. Gospels, the, yeah. you know, the mm-hmm. stuff outside that didn't get included in the Bible. But I think it maybe in Egypt in the desert out there they found this Magdalene book and they they tried to understand more of it and there's there's some missing pages which was is where some of the this idea that maybe Jesus and they had a parakia or, or even maybe got married idea mm-hmm. there's some missing pages and people speculate that on these missing pages it might be this or that that's my but that's like total speculation yeah you mean people want to have like Jesus yeah. you know to be more <clears throat> contemporary or whatever you know so the so the church marginalizes her well they, they it's sort of a they no they they actually lionized her they sort of at first she she became she became a, a, a she, she's she's this mixed character mm-hmm. if you will because she's first she's a woman yeah so then they're not necessarily putting so much emphasis on her, but then people, the, the people, the, the devout are reading and seeing that she is the primary witness to the resurrection, and that mm. she has this prominent role in Jesus' life. I think she she anoints him with oil at some yeah, point. Yeah, she's like uh, kind of. And so there become there becomes this devotion for her, 
in Europe, people kind of praying to her as a saint and things like that. And then that gains traction and she began the, the sort of people start talking about her more and they start writing about her and then they start marrying a couple of different Marys with her and But like but that. the church doesn't doesn't give her sainthood. Um, or does it? Yeah, they, they it's not quite sainthood I don't think, but they yeah, the the church the, the official church eventually recognizes her in a in a big way. Uh -huh. But there's always a tension there mm -hmm. because she is because she had her own follow, except from the church. Yeah, that are and all, I, that yeah. Are and what this thing, this part that he's talking about, I think is anything that doesn't fit after a while gets cut off. Mm -hmm. That sort of the Qatars and the, these sort of what became we know as heresies, mm -hmm. and that uh, the Rus, Ru, I don't know how you pronounce it, Rosicrucians or Ro, yeah, Rosicrucians yeah, or something. Ros French, these French, these like Renaissance yeah. French. And all those are actually originating from Bulgaria, the Bogomilis of Bulgaria, uh -huh. mystic Christianity, Christians. Like they, their main practice was like going into caves for years and praying, they write fasting. Some far out books. It's like it's like a book. It, when I, I tried to get into one not too long ago, and it was like it's a story. They were vegetarians also. It's a story. All these, you know. I, I was uh, late at night. I was visited by this figure and he took me out and we went on this long journey but all along the journey you know we saw a house that had seven windows one was black one was green one was red one was purple one was you know what I mean so that everything's a symbol but you're not mm -hmm. being explained at all what any of it is and mm -hmm. and somehow I don't know so much about how Mary ties into that but but she's the mother of a bunch of these esoteric sects yeah that they're they, they, there's, there's the idea that there's this hidden part of, of the New Testament that kind of keeps resurfacing. Mm -hmm. that, G, that, that, that the mainline church has missed it somehow. The and perennial philosophy. And it keeps surfacing throughout Christian history mm -hmm. in different ways. You know. And you get some that are... Uh, you know, you even get some that, you know, that they think Jesus is like... The opposite of what the mainline Christians say, and that the soul reincarnates, and the Aryans—it's it's all very—it gets kind of—I mean, I don't—I haven't gone. What would be the opposite of what the mainline Christians mm. think about Christianity, about Christian, about Christ? Um. Yeah. No, I don't know. I—I I, I got that far. Something from the movie in over my head. Uh, well, they in this movie they depict him very much like an avaduta, like emphasizing internal spiritual growth. Not mm -hmm. and like they make this contrast that she understands that like that that feeling or that uh, that the mission of Jesus is an internal mission, and the, then the others they they think it's an external mission and it has to be like. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I think, I think institutionalized, I, I, and Peter wants to start this, the church, and you know, then she's a woman; she cannot be a part of that. And I mean, it's like very much like the esoteric versus institutionalized esoteric. religion. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is very human. Yeah, very human. Very human. Yeah. yeah. Like saintly, but yeah. human. Yeah. Okay, yeah, they depict him very nicely there, like. The best Jesus I ever, ever. A little Maduria, huh? Hey. <laughs> a little human-like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more sweetness. <laughs>
mm. something to like be attained for oneself. I think is mm. more the idea of it. Be Christ-like, yeah. Very, yeah. very Hindu. Mm. Everything that you say. Yeah. <laughs> and like in the conclusion there, like uh, Mary Magdalene, she's like so abused in all, like after the after the crucifixion, and uh, she, like all this sadness and sorrow, and she becomes on top of that she she gets like so much criticism from her god brothers and then she comes to the to the cave and then she meets jesus and then she gets this mission to go to the to the god brothers and and explain that he got resurrected mm. so then she does that and she gets totally abused and she comes back to jesus and G and she's like blissed out in, in the face of all these circumstances, she's feeling this internal bliss, and then Jesus is confirming: now you have, now you're in the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. oh. Now, you, in the face of all this abuse, you experience this bliss. You want to move the, mm. Mm. It's interesting how it takes two, like the saint and someone who understands the saint, to mm. really give it to the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was. Yeah. Great story. Yeah. It seems like that that is like a contrast that all that comes again and again, like this this clash of institutionalized religion and esoteric. I mean, even yeah. in our tradition, yeah, it repeats itself again and again. Yeah, we're experiencing it right now, right? Yeah. Oftentimes the second for like... Maybe they'll make a movie about us. Yeah. <laughs> in the future. And they were the one. <laughs> we're the real one. <laughs> real nobody. <laughs> it seems like it's often the, the disciple who un most understands the guru that is like least respected. Yeah. God yeah. That can be here. this radical dualism there's, there's nothing sacred in the world mm -hmm. then it seems then there's nothing left to do except try to muscle your happiness out of it to try to you know um, just exploit it it just leaves you with that yeah and it, it, it's there's no reason not to it's an insidious kind of worldview mm -hmm. because it's, it's really it can be like at least for myself, it's really difficult to kind of come out of that and to try to go internal for happiness, right? Mm -hmm. like what I need is, mm -hmm. you know, I need a stronger cup of coffee. I need a, mm -hmm. you know, something. A better wife. Yeah, a better wife. But... Hmm. Whatever it is, some, some more books. And... It seems like the uh, evangelical movement and the vast majority is totally anti-environmental. Hmm. There, there have been 
I saw a couple of articles by some Christian preachers who were advocating, you know, a different approach. God made us the stewards of the land, you know, and he was, I guess, this fellow was compelled by the science to think this is really happening, you know, and, uh, but it, it didn't get any traction. Hmm? Let's hoping it would get some traction. I mean, now, this uh, President Trump, he's totally like, he, you know, he doesn't understand anything, but I mean, he doesn't understand environmental crisis at all, and he's putting in place all types of uh, laws and whatnot that are detrimental in that regard, and, and it just totally backed you know, by Christianity and its, its consumerist, you know, perspective on life, you know, God... Want, we're God's children. We should be happy. Mm -hmm. And, and he, Christianity must be the best religion because we're the richest people in the world. You know, we've got the most bounty from nature, and, uh, and does he come from a evangelical background specifically? No. Well, I mean, that's, well, he that's, doesn't make it clear. That's often how the evangelicals sell sell their you know tradition. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, they put a chicken in every pot. You know. But he doesn't align officially to one branch or the other. Pardon me? Oh, Bush? Trump. 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 Oh, he's not even religious, I don't think. Okay. That's just a speech. He did the rounds. He went on the Christian News TV networks and let them interview him, but he doesn't. And he says, you know, he has a couple of stock lines, but he's not, he doesn't make I, any... Like, I saw an interview with him about the Bible, where mm -hmm. he said, the Bible is my, you know, favorite book. You know, and so the interviewer says, "What are your favorite verses?" He said, "Well, I, you know, I, I don't want to talk about that now." You know, and then they came around and tried again and again, which obviously didn't know any verses from the Bible. That it was his favorite book. It doesn't mean he read it. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's doubtful he read it. I, I, I think, I mean, at least in my own life, I've had some problems. Someone has coined this term, the post-truth world. Mm, yeah, <clears throat> that we, we can't trust anything, and I think um, that's been a problem in my spiritual life. It's just being able to trust the devotee, trust the relationships, the devotees. The, mm. And I see that sometimes around me. Um, there was recently a devotee who was <clears throat> he was he was denying the Holocaust that it happened. You know, really? So he, yeah, so he had this. So, oh my God. Yeah, so, but I, you know, I can see, you know, he's got, he, he's a nice devotee, he has, he's, he's going against the mainstream, but then somehow someone diverts his attention with this other conspiracy. Yeah. And so he gets off into that. In my own life, it doesn't happen so much like that, but what I find is that this, um, the suspicion leads to suspension for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have a hard time giving my heart fully or giving my mind fully to the, the process, to the, to the community, because I'm, I'm constantly like, I don't know what to believe. Like, I want to believe this. I think I do today. Then the mind is pulling this way and that. And, and you're thinking that's somewhat a product of this post-truth time in which we live where yeah, all authorities are, have been, 
authority has been so yeah. exposed itself as being untrustworthy, I mean, politically, uh, spiritually, and look at <clears> the Catholic <throat> Church, look at the Gaudiya Vaishnavism, look, right. you know, that uh, it's made, a, and then you've got the, you know, the news, and, you know, and it's bought by, you know, somebody owns the station, you know, and, and his perspective or hers and corporate uh, uh, money and so forth determining what news yeah. you'll hear. So this is all we were talking about, the yeah. post-truth. Yeah. Uh, also, know, I think they connect that time. to the subjectivity of postmodernism, where there is yeah. no objective truth and everything, whatever yeah. you feel, yeah. that's your truth. And yeah. Yeah. Get, yeah, that all gets tied in with the yeah. propaganda yeah. machines. Yeah. Fake news and all this stuff. And, and then I, yeah, and then I'm just kind of emotion because what emotionally, so it can be, I you know, they have this vaidhi bhakti, you chant a certain number of rounds, you get up at a certain time, you do all these things, but it only takes you so far. The next piece is the opening of the heart, and and so. Somehow that that that's a difficult territory for me. Because I'm, I don't, you know, confessions of the true secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are not alone in the cloud, Jama wow. <laughs> Welcome to the to the assembly. Well, intelligence too. I mean, a lot of times in our tradition, the teaching has been really dumbed down, and it and it, and it, it doesn't. Uh, it, it has, in, in many instances, become anti-intellectual. Intellectual doubts are not entertained, they're just maya. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, but that doesn't make your intelligence, which is your questioning, you know, go away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they may, be not, they may not be answered and dismissed by the force of groupthink or Guru Dave said, you know, mm -hmm. Rude, you know he, he said it, so must be, you know. And then, uh, then that's uh, leaves you, you know, in the in a position to for that to come up, you know, or be in the background and surface at a certain time more than. And uh, so, you know, I mean, it's not really the school, the Bhagavad school, the Bhagavad itself invites you to bring your intelligence. Let's go, you know. It really invites you to bring your intelligence and, and let's see, you know, where it, answer your doubts hmm? and then cause you to doubt in a, in, in, a, in, a, in a positive way the limits of your intellect. There's, a, there's an artificial way cause you to doubt your intelligence. Hmm where you don't satisfy it and reveal its, its, its limitations in a healthy way, but you, you just ignore it and say, well, you know, intellect by intellect, you can't go there. You know, mm. stop. That's just speculation, not just speculation. That, that's counterproductive. And that mm. can, you know, I mean, that's, I'm not, I'm just saying in general, that's, that, that's a lot of people I think suffer from that without knowing it, and it does cause them to have pause, whether they voice it or not, or and they can't, as you say, 
open their heart and give themselves and, uh, entirely. But the Bhagavatam, you know, that's the idea. Like, I, like I've said many times, you know, it's like, it's, it's really a revolutionary kind of statement given the climate. Come before the Guru, sit, and doubt. You know, they say, don't doubt before the Guru. <laughs> you know, otherwise you're in, you're, you're out. You know, if you doubt, <laughs> doubt and you're out, you know. But bring your questions, mm. doubt, and and then, you know, see if they can be answered. Hmm? So this Padiprasena will be doubt. Yeah. In a healthy way, yeah. It's a doubt. And I'd like it to be, it has to be done in the right way and so forth, but uh, with a view to, you know, know how, how the philosophy deals with that and so forth. And, you know, in a dynamic, ongoing way with contemporary issues and, and whatnot. So, I mean, how much does a factor in your situation? I'm not, I'm not sure, but you are an educated person. Oh, yeah, I, I get completely consumed with it. <laughs> I, uh-huh. I, I, as a side note, I, I see, um, I've mentioned it a couple to a couple of devotees. This Sadaputta Prabhu, uh-huh. he did a lot of um, research trying to push back on science and certain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I find that he's incredibly careful to not to be very, to not sit, not bring in a whole lot of wild speculation. And, and he, it, it helps, I like, whenever I, I don't read his stuff a lot, but when I revisit it or something, I realize, oh, I wasn't crazy for thinking this guy was had something smart to say. I think he's somebody who cites. Yeah. He, yeah. he sort of, he's just very, he's very co- conscious of that he does, he's not going to say more than, he, he's not going to bring his own emotion or, or sort of speculation, his, uh, his own fanaticism, if you will, sometimes. So he brings intellectual integrity to the Yes, to there the you teaching. go. That's, a, that's what I mean. That's and, what I, and that's what's missing in so many circles. Therefore, it's not—it's it's not what Prabhupada wanted. It wanted, he wanted it to be embraced by educated people. Mm-hmm. But if you make it, a, you know, anti-intellectual, and don't like recently, uh, Jagannanda, you know Jagadananda? Yes. He's an intellectual. He was reading sacred preface, and he wrote to me. He said, "This is what devotees should be reading. This is what they should be discussing." The way you deal with the, he says every paragraph is just full with like realizations and insight and, you know, contemporary thought and so forth. Like th- this is what they should be discussing. It was a real compliment, but it, but that's what I'm trying to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. mm-hmm. You capture the devotee's intelligence, and, and my my approach is is to trust that people have a brain, they're intelligent, and even you know push them to, to use it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll answer a question with it with a question, mm-hmm. or you know, think about it like this. Or have you thought of it? Right. You know, what about that? Mm-hmm. And because uh, you you need to tax everyone's intelligence fully, otherwise they're not going to be able to fully give their heart. <laughs> That's part of it. There's this verse in Chaitanya Charitamrita, no? And Krishna says, yeah. if you want Siddhanta to bring Bhuri. your intelligence, bring it to Mahaprabhu, and it will find yeah. full. Yeah. Oh. Satisfaction. Really? Yeah. I like yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll look for it. Yeah. And I guess that there's something behind it too. Like when I first met you in Madhavan, I I was a little bit unsure 
if your approach is too intellectual for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just because my nature, you know, I gravitate towards more simplicity, and so there is some hesitation, but just kind of the substance underneath allowed me to accept it. Mm -hmm. I know of some other people afraid of that same thing with Guru Maharaj. <laughs> but just a fear from the distance. But that's my point. When they get close, they, they find their place, if you will. Or maybe it's their own fear of thinking too much or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we are promoting that. So yeah. It's intimidating. <laughs> or some. Which was the name of this Socratic method? That this was like people came and he started to give questions and take them to the, their own answers. No, I, I cannot remember the, hmm. the name, but we were thinking about that. Also. Heuristic. I don't know how to say in English. Yeah. Okay. How do you say? Heuristic method. Mm. Mm. Maybe in Spanish is something like that. It's also just called the Socratic method. Okay. <clears throat> so did Jagadananda write the review of the book, Guru Maharaj? Not yet. No, he got distracted. He went back to Vrindavan. He was reading it in Canada. Mm -hmm. oh, and he got into something over the, the Bhakti Sandarbha he's working on. Mm. Mm. So I think he, he liked... Uh, well, he made the comment that I... Cited, paraphrased, and then he, he liked the section on Guru a lot. He thought mm -hmm. that was really good, the way it was approached. Um, he liked the approach I took in the second chapter about the historicity of the divinity of Krishna, mm -hmm. Ram, Gornatai, and so forth. He liked the science part. Mm -hmm. That's it. Third chapter. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't think he got to the fourth chapter yet. Okay. I think I irritated him a little bit because it, in the, in he was reading and getting back to me, and then he made a post about Bhakti Siddhanta. Oh. And in his post, he was he had like it was like his like. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, guys. In South Africa, there is a famous writing that says if the dogs, the dogs, are, the dogs are barking, it means we are advancing. Oh. It means the, the horses are advancing. He's a, he's a bit of a harmonizer, you know, naturally, and uh, so he wrote this article, like, after all these years of thinking about it in so many ways, here's my conclusions about uh, Dante, you know, he, he chalked out his own path within Gaudiya Vaishnavism, let's call it the, you know, the Gore Saraswat. Sampradaya, mm -hmm. you know, and I think he thought he was being generous, 
you know, uh -huh. way he wrote about it, and uh -huh. and you know, and in all, it's a separate separate from the main line tradition, but it but it has its own value, you know. All right. And I just took exception to it, you know. <laughs> I just say, you know, you you know, I didn't say it, but I was reading some posts, and then another devotee, Godbrother of mine, Hari Sharan, who left Prabhupada like Jagannath later, much later, and he took initiation from Anantadas Babaji. And I know him. We, we, we corresponded sometimes. Um, and so he was, he said, yeah, that's that's really, you know, a good one. You know, the Gore Saraswat Sampradaya. And I said, well, you know, I, like, you know, I, I disagree with that. You know, that's not how Bhakti Siddhanta presented. He was the Bhakti Vinod Paribar. You want to take me out of the, you know, Bhakti Vinod's, you know, line here? You know, and how can you do that? And I, and I made a lot of good points. Publicly. Yeah, on the on the on the Facebook, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it was just me and Hari Sharn. It was very polite and and, and whatnot, going back and forth. And Jagannath, he, he didn't get a, he didn't he didn't enter into it. But I think I kind of rained a little bit on this party there. Mm -hmm. So, and then he that coincided with him going to India and getting into the and Arbor work again. <laughs> <You know. laughs> But the point is that most of the devotees in Gaudiya Math branches present themselves as Sarasbad Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Yeah, yeah. And maybe they even but emphasize but that more than the Bhakti Vinod Parivar yeah, identity, uh, if you will. Prabhupada said, My movement is Bhakti Vinod's movement. And mm -hmm. that's how Bhakti Siddhanta taught his disciples to think. So there's a problem of over glorification. <laughs> you want to glorify the Gaudiya Saraswat and I mean, Shridhar did that some of his Sri Chaitanya Saraswat mm -hmm. math. But I mean, uh, in saying that, they don't mean that we have no connection with Bhakti Vinod by any means at all. Whereas the way Jagadananda was framing it, it was like, oh, we're basically separate from, from mm -hmm. Bhakti Vinod, who has, who's, was esoteric, you know, in his orientation. and you know, and Because and he has hit connection with Bhakti Vinod from... Yeah. And, you know, and it ignored the fact that Bhakti Vinod had his own way of thinking about Siddha Pranali. It's different from the way many of these other Paribars think about it and so forth. You know, they're giving it, you know, Bhakti Vinod was, was, was very much emphasizing only for qualified people. And he also, he also emphasized that it, as, as it arises mm. through sadhana, the guru advises and... There's a letter from Bhakti Siddhanta who talked to one of his uh, lady disciples who was asking about that. It's very nice. I've cited it in uh, one section in the book I'm writing, um, where he just—it's just right out of Hari Nam Chaitanya, mm -hmm. hmm? where he says, you know, that this will arise through sadhana. The guru is, is is like a, you know, there to coach and help you refine and so on and so forth and. And, uh, you know, they were very much against this idea that, you know, okay, I've just given you your sarut, you know. So who was against that idea, sorry? They were against that, Bhakti Siddhanta, mm. Bhakti Vinod. They were against that. You can't mm -hmm. deny that Bhakti Vinod was against that, mm. that the Guru was giving the sarut. Um, and that's how it's, you know, more typically or so-called traditionally, you know, uh, marketed. Hmm? Yeah. Where did he said Dr. Vinod even draw? I, I wasn't aware that he drew back from, from I, I thought there was that was a little muddled about how he felt about Sidhu Pranali. I'm not 
but I don't, I don't I haven't really read, I don't even know where to read up on it. Well, you know, you take like the okay, a prominent lineage is uh, the Radakund lineage that Anantadas Babaji was was the hunt for until he passed away recently, and so he was a little prominent in our time um, in that position. And the teaching there, and that's the teaching in most of, a lot of these paribars, is that Guru goes into meditation, yeah. mm-hmm. Krishna gives him the sarup mm-hmm. for the disciple, then the Guru gives the sarup to the disciple. Bhaktivinoda's approach is chant Hare Krishna, mm-hmm. follow the practices, Nishta will come, Ruchi will come, mm-hmm. and 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 a based on the really really based on the some scars that you have, what, that's a, a, a sentiment will come to the fore, like in his Jaiva Dharma, Sakyarasa or Madhurya Rasa, and then the guru will help you to develop that, you know, and give advice and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And he's not, you know, got it and he's selling it, you know, and, and, and right. that kind of a thing. So it's, it's quite, a, quite, a, quite a departure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, because the people from Radhakunda say considered all these ideas as offensive to the yeah the real thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it's a departure, mm-hmm. and 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 it's and and it's exactly what Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur taught. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have as much explicit writing about it like you'll find in uh, you know Hari uh, uh, in particular. Yeah, mm-hmm. But he has, but he, uh, that letter is is, is just right right. Saying the exact same thing, and of course, in his Raghavart Machandrika Vishnu uh, uh, Vishnu Thakur says the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He says that that information, insight about the sarup can come from hearing, you know, from from Diksha Guru or the Siksha Guru, or or from practice. And even when he says from hearing, you know, he's not saying the Guru goes into meditation, gets it, gives it. I mean that. I mean. If he thought that, that would have been the place to say it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no writing like that anywhere right. amongst any universally accepted acharya. So that's it's not in. It's not in. Dhyan Chandra's work. Gaur Govindarchana Padati. Yeah. Bhagavat Machandrika, any of the Goswami's works, Chaitanya Charitamrita. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I mean the Guru still gives the saru. Yeah. Through his mercy, but it just it's not as literal. Right. As it's well, he gives you, yeah. You know, his bhav comes, affects you, and then, and then, uh, and, and as it develops, see it right. But it's not like he went into meditation, got it from Krishna, give it to you. Mm-hmm. That's a whole different idea. So, anyway, I'm sure Jagger and I will get over it. <laughs> He's a little, a little indebted to me. <laughs> okay. See you later, huh? Yeah. Okay.